Chapter Thirty Nine of the Inevitable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlech. The Inevitable by Louis Capurus, translated by Alexander Texiera de Matos the inevitable chapter thirty nine gilio had followed the advice of his cousin the countess de rosavilla immediately after dinner he had stolen outside and he walked along the pergola to the rotunda into which the moonlight fell as into a white beaker but there was a shadow behind a couple of caratides and here he hid he waited for an hour but the knight slept, the caratides slept, standing motionless and supporting the leafy roof. He uttered a curse and stole indoors again. He walked down the corridors on tiptoe and listened at van der Stahl's door. He heard nothing, but perhaps van der Stahl was asleep. Gilio, however, crept along another corridor and listened at Cornelie's door. He held his breath yes there was sound of voices they were together together he clenched his fists and walked away but why did he excite himself he knew all about their relations why should they not be together here and he went on and tapped at the countess's door next evening he again waited in the rotunda they did not come but a few evenings later as he sat waiting Choking with annoyance, he saw them come. He saw Duco lock the terrace door behind him. The rusty lock grated in the distance. Slowly he saw them walk along and approach in the light, disappearing from view in the shadow, reappearing in the moonlight. They sat down on the marble bench. How happy they seemed! He was jealous of their happiness, jealous above all of him and how gentle and tender she was she who considered him gilio only good enough for her amusement to flirt with a clown she the devilish woman was angelic to the man she loved she bent towards her lover with a smiling caress with a curve of her arm with a proffering of her lips with something intensely alluring with a velvety languor of love which he would never have suspected in her, after her cold jesting flirtation with him, Gilio. She was now leaning on Duco's arms, on his breast, with her face against his. Oh, how her kiss filled Gilio with flame and fury! This was no longer her icy lack of sensuous response towards him, Gilio in the camerera degli sposi and he could restrain himself no longer he would at least disturb their moment of happiness and quivering in every nerve he stepped from behind the caratides and went towards them through the rotunda lost in each other's eyes they did not see him at once but suddenly simultaneously they both started their arms fell apart then and there they sprang up in one movement they saw him approaching but evidently did not at once recognize him 
not until he was closer did they perceive who he was and they looked at him in startled silence wondering what he would say he made a satirical bow a delightful evening isn't it the view is lovely like this at night from the pergola you are right to come and enjoy it i hope that i am not disturbing you with my unexpected company his tremulous voice sounded so spiteful and aggressive that they could not doubt the violence of his anger not at all prince replied cornelie recovering her composure though i can't imagine what you are doing here at this hour and what are you doing here at this hour what am i doing i am sitting with van der Stahl. at this hour at this hour what do you mean prince what are you suggesting what am i suggesting that the pergola is closed at night prince said duco your tone is offensive and you are altogether offensive if you were not my host i would strike you in the face cornelie caught duco by the arm the prince cursed and clenched his fists prince she said you have obviously come to pick a quarrel with us why what objection can you have to my meeting van der Stahl here in the evening in the first place our relations towards each other is no secret for you and then i think it unworthy of you to come spying on us unworthy unworthy he had lost all self-control i am unworthy am i and petty and rude and not a man and my temperament doesn't suit you his temperament seems to suit you all right i heard the kiss you gave him she-devil demon never have i been insulted as i have by you i have never put up with so much from anybody i will put up with it no more you struck me you demon you she-devil and now he's threatening to strike me my patience is at an end i can't bear that in my own house you should refuse me what you give to him he is not your husband he's not your husband i have as much right to you as he and if he thinks he has a better right than i then i hate him i hate him and blind with rage he flew at duco's throat the attack was so unexpected that duco stumbled they both wrestled furiously all their hidden antipathy broke forth in fury they did not hear cornelie's entreaties they struck each other with their fists they grappled with arms and legs breast to breast then cornelie saw something flash in the moonlight she saw that the prince had drawn a knife but the very movement was an advantage to duco who gripped his wrist as in a vice forced him to the ground and pressing his knee on gilio's chest took him by the throat with his other hand let go yelled the prince let go that knife yelled duco the prince obstinately persisted let go he yelled once more let go that knife the knife dropped from his fingers duco grasped it and rose to his feet get up he said we can continue this fight if you like tomorrow under less primitive conditions not with a knife 
but with swords or pistols. The prince stood panting, blue in the face. When he came to himself, he said slowly, No, I will not fight a duel unless you want to, but I don't. I am defeated. She has a demoniacal force which would always make you win whatever game we played. We've had our duel. This struggle tells me more than a regular duel would. Only, if you want to fight me, I have no objection. But I now know for certain that you would kill me. She protects you. I don't want to fight a duel with you, said Duco. Then let us look on this struggle as a duel, and now give me your hand. Duco put out his hand. Gilio pressed it. Forgive me, he said, bowing before Cornelie. I have insulted you. No, said she, I do not forgive you. We have to forgive each other. I forgive you the blow you struck me. I forgive you nothing. I shall never forgive you this evening's work. Not your spying, nor your lack of self-control, nor the rights which you try to claim from me, an unmarried woman, whereas I allowed you no rights whatsoever, nor your attack, nor your knife. Are we enemies then for good? Yes, for good. I shall leave your house tomorrow. I have done wrong, he confessed humbly. Forgive me, I am hot-blooded. Until now I looked upon you as a gentleman. I am also an Italian. I do not forgive you. I once proved to you that I could be a good friend. This is not the moment to remind me of it. I remind you of everything that might make you more gently disposed towards me. It is no use. Enemies, then? Yes. Let us go indoors. I shall leave your house tomorrow. I will do any penance that you inflict upon me. I inflict nothing. I want this conversation to end, and I want to go indoors. I will go ahead of you. They walked up the pergola. He himself opened the terrace door and let them in before him. They went in silence to their rooms. The castle lay asleep in the darkness. The prince struck a match to light the way. Duco was the first to reach his room. I will light you to your room, said the prince meekly. He struck a second match and accompanied Cornelie to her door. Here he fell on his knees. Forgive me, he whispered, with a sob in his throat. No, she said. And without more, she locked the door behind her. He remained on his knees for another moment. Then he slowly rose to his feet. His throat hurt him. His shoulder felt as though it were dislocated. It's over, he muttered. I am defeated. She is stronger now than I, but not because she is a devil. I have seen them together. I have seen their embrace. She is stronger. He is stronger than I. Because of their happiness, I feel that, because of their happiness, they will always be stronger than I. He went on to his room, which adjoined Urania's bedroom. His chest heaved with sobs. Dressed as he was, he flung himself sobbing on his bed, swallowing his sobs in the slumbering night that hung over the castle. Then he got up and looked out the window. He saw the lake. 
he saw the pergola where they had been fighting the knight was sleeping there the caratides sleeping stood out white against the shadow and his eyes sought the exact spot of their struggle and of his defeat and with this superstitious faith in their happiness he became convinced that there would be no more fighting against it ever then he shrugged his shoulders as if he were flinging a load off his back fa niente he said to console himself domini megliori and he meant that to-morrow he would achieve if not this victory another then with his eyes still moist he fell asleep like a child. End of chapter 39